1: Carmen hits the low-end ransomware-as-a-service market. Homograph vulnerability proof-of-concepts are revealed. A jihadist InfoSec service advises good cyber hygiene for terrorists, post-Vault 7. The shadow brokers try to drag a red herring, actually a bad frog, across their tracks. Hopeful speculation continues that the U.S. hacked North Korea's missile test last weekend. And you're not going to get rich by using security cameras to mine Bitcoin. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary for Tuesday, April 18, 2017. Recorded Future reports discovery of Carmen, a low-cost ransomware-as-a-service product being hawked in the dark web market by Dev Bitox, described as a Russian-speaking cybercriminal. Carmen is derived from Hidden Tear, an open-source encryption project coded by an unknown author in Germany and available to anyone. Carmen is both cheap – $175 with free upgrades – and it's devious. It will delete its own decryptor if it detects the victim's sandboxing or analyzing it. DevBitox isn't getting rich – he or she has sold 20 copies and has just five more left in inventory. Some browsers are reported vulnerable to homograph attack in which malicious sites spoof, undetectably, safe, legitimate ones. The problem is so far a proof of concept by researcher Zudong Zeng, who informed Google and Mozilla of the issue back in January. The problem lies in the rendering of Punicode characters in a URL as Unicode characters, which opens the possibility that one could be spoofed into browsing over to a malicious site without realizing it. Chrome, Firefox, and Opera are said to be vulnerable to such homograph attack. Mozilla released a workaround mitigation for Firefox, and Google has fixed it in Chrome Canary 59, with a permanent patch planned this month for Chrome Stable 58. For soldiers on the battlefield, men and women on the ground, the special operations folks, and other forward-operating personnel, it's become increasingly common for them to receive feeds of information that may come from drones, for example. Bill Anderson is CEO at Optio Labs, and one of their areas of expertise is securing those
2: battlefield mobile devices. Their device of choice is typically an Android device, a secure Android device. The challenge is, how do we ensure that those mobile devices that the operations teams are running around with are, are actually secure, and they're reliable, and they're as productive as can be, and they also don't personnel in danger.
1: Can you give us an example? What do you mean by danger? You know, here's a, who hasn't done this?
2: You uh, you're, you know, you're fumbling around with your phone and uh, stick it back in your pocket. And one of your colleagues looks over and says, hey, um, you know, you got your flashlight turned on. No big deal if you happen to be sitting in an office meeting. If you're on the battlefield and it's dark and you turn on the flashlight on your special ruggedized Android phone by accident, that makes you a target. And by the way, there's no simple way of, you know, through software and ensuring that those flashlights are off. That's one of the things we do is we give the enterprise the controls to be able to say, here are the things you're allowed to do when you're on a mission. So when you're on a mission, you're able to see the secure drone feed, you're able to run the secure drone application, but no Bluetooth, no Wi-Fi. You can't tell your true location through GPS. You can't take Updates over the air that would affect the operating system. You can't make noise You know, so there's a whole bunch of controls That you want to apply that are mission specific that will keep That guy productive in our case the problems that we're looking at is how do we make sure that the Individuals on the battlefield who are actually consuming that information are as safe and productive as possible
1: I mean it sounds to me like what we're really talking about here is securing the Android device itself So the the Android device may be the weakest link in the chain?
2: It is invariably the weakest link in the chain. If you were to tell me that there was no malware (laughs) or weaknesses on my Android phone, I couldn't take your word for that because we have seen them. In fact, we continuously see them. They're there. The Android platform is an incredibly broad, deep promiscuous networking device with many many sensors many many interacting software systems that are built by different vendors and many vulnerabilities and so when you have operations folks running drones running around on the ground and you you need to make sure that everything works right you need to go well beyond taking an off-the-shelf device if, if you really want those guys to be safe
1: that's bill anderson from optio labs Catching up with news about the two recent tranches of leaks that have hit the internet with considerable eclat recently, we turn to WikiLeaks's Vault 7, which purports to disclose CIA cyber-espionage campaigns, and the Shadow Brokers' Good Friday release of alleged NSA material. The U.S. intelligence community, for obvious reasons, has no official reaction to both incidents, but the consensus among observers is that both dumps appear to contain material stolen from the IC. Flashpoint has looked at the former set of leaks, and they've paid particular attention to how the jihadist InfoSec group Horizon is reacting to Vault 7 on the dark web. Horizon is a group roughly aligned with ISIS that offers counsel on how to communicate online without compromising yourself to the civilized world's intelligence and police services. ISIS adherents are being advised that two of their favorite communication tools, Telegram and WhatsApp, may be vulnerable to interception. It seems doubtful that Horizon will have better luck instilling sound OPSEC and digital hygiene into the terrorist pool than legitimate enterprises have. Turning to the other big release, the Shadow Brokers' dump is thought by many to be bad news and worse optics for the U.S. intelligence community. Both Swift and Microsoft are reassuring users that their systems are now safe against the exploits the Shadow Brokers' documents describe. Many observers note Microsoft's quietly proactive pre-leak patches last month. Motherboard notes an oddity that many others have overlooked. The shadow broker's password to access their stolen files is a typographic squeal associated with bad-boy meme Pepe the Frog. Thus do the brokers associate themselves with the alt-right, continuing their fitful but long-standing pose as hacktivists motivated by a touch of profit. Pepe has appeared before in Russian information operations, and so here again many will find evidence of Moscow's involvement in the doxing. Reactions to both Vault 7 and the Shadow Brokers have shown concern about U.S. intelligence services' ability to conduct cyber espionage, which is a reasonable enough concern if one is a potential foreign target of collection. But the surprise that intelligence services collect foreign intelligence does seem either naive or disingenuous, or some mix of the two. Such collection is obviously what intelligence services do. Speculation continues that the U.S. hacked North Korea's weekend missile tests. The source of this hopeful talk seems to be former U.K. Foreign Secretary Sir Malcolm Rifkind. The Lad Mag Maxim, of all places, has put on its patriotic epaulets and is swaggering in the face of Supreme Leader Kim. While any thinking person in the civilized world would be likely to welcome cyber disruption of Pyongyang's nuclear delivery research and development, it's important to stress that this appears to be a priori speculation. Nonetheless, the possibility bears watching. A quick congratulatory shout-out to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, for taking home the Alamo Cup from last week's National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition in San Antonio, Texas. Bravo Zulu, Cyber Dogs! Finally, we return to the world of online crime. Mirai apparently has a competitor. Hajime has been found in the wild by security researchers from DDoS protection shop BackConnect. Hajime has been competing for bots with Mirai for about six months, although to what end remains unclear, since the botnets it's been assembling haven't so far, according to BackConnect, been used to conduct denial-of-service attacks. BackConnect finds Hajime much more sophisticated than Mirai, especially with respect to its command and control. So what's Hajime up to? It's not clear. But it's probably not mining bitcoins. Errata Security has posted an analysis of recent claims that Mirai is being used to do exactly that, and Arata Security thinks this is unlikely. By their calculations, if all of the two-and-a-half million devices McAfee estimated were infected with Mirai were set to work mining cryptocurrency, they'd be earning the Botmasters 25 cents a day. And Arata Security sniffs at this amount as a joke. Well, if you're as rich as Arata, maybe you don't need the cash, but over the course of a year, that would pull in $91.25, which is a zero-labor alternative to the lemonade stand we ourselves were considering. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, welcome back. We wanted to talk today about uh, the Vault 7 and the Shadow Brokers releases of information. And really, you wanted to contrast the two of them.
0: I think it's it's important to understand when you hear about all these leaks of um, of, of cyber capabilities from now both NSA and CIA that there's a difference between leaking uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures, or so-called TTPs, um, versus the actual tools themselves, the actual code behind zero-day exploits, for example. Um, so if, if you look at a lot of the, the data that's been released so far, particularly in the Vault 7 uh, leaks, it's been mostly uh, documents, PowerPoint, that really talk about how the CIA does what it does. And based on that, um, some security companies have been able to uh, fingerprint certain TTPs and attribute, with some degree of confidence, a, a wide range of hacks across the world uh, to the Vault 7 TTPs. Shadow brokers, on the other hand, is more than that. It includes a lot more of the source code, uh, which is ha- has an even greater devastating impact because now you're not just fingerprinting attacks and building um, defenses against the techniques and procedures that are being used, but you actually can build specific malware identifiers and and hashes uh, that can be used to detect and and block the actual exploits themselves. There's a lot of debate ongoing right now as to the, the total impact I think the folks that are in the trenches in the intelligence agencies who are working these problems would, would claim that there is a, a huge impact in national security as a result, collectively, of these leaks. Um, but at the same time, there are plenty of unpatched computer systems out in the world. And um, there is lots of opportunity to be had uh, just doing basic run-of-the-mill phishing attacks against unpatched Windows computers, uh, which remains the largest uh, threat surface that uh, hackers, uh, whether you're part of an intelligence agency or organized crime, uh, leverage to
1: While these releases of information are certainly interesting and and damaging, um, you know, sometimes the the old-fashioned ways are the easiest ways in.
0: Uh, Indeed. So uh, for those that are looking to uh, have a good defense against these sorts of things, uh, please just keep your software up to date, have antivirus installed, and uh, basic cyber hygiene will win out most of the time.
1: All right. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network,